I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Welcome to another episode of Serial Streamers. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're wondering what Serial Streamers is, if you haven't caught on yet, it is a true crime TV club, kind of like a book club, but better. And it's for people who binge true crime TV series and documentaries, which I know I do. And I figure a lot of people listening to Murderish are probably out there binging all this true crime content on TV. So. I started a true crime TV club and we call ourselves the Serial Streamers. And if you're wondering who I am, if you're just watching this on YouTube, just getting to know me, my name's Jamie. I am a full-time podcaster. I host podcasts, uh, Murderish, Lipstick and Lies, Dirty Money Moves. And um, I just recently got on here to YouTube, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. But um, make sure you do all the things. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at Jamie on Air. If you're listening to this right now, make sure you hit the subscribe or the follow button in your podcast player so that you don't miss any new episodes of Serial Streamers as they come out on the Murderish podcast feed. And I think that's it. And I'm going to say these things all over again at the end of this thing, just to remind you. So let's get into the case or the docuseries. But before we do, I need to offer some trigger warnings because I like to be thoughtful about, yes, this is a true crime, you know, content series. So people maybe ought to know that there's going to be some disturbing things, but I always try to catch, you know, particularly disturbing topics and offer trigger warning at the beginning. So for this particular docu-series, there are discussions of very toxic diet culture, fat shaming, as well as child abuse and child death. So just please take care before listening or watching. Okay, 
Let's get into this docu-series. So the docu-series that the serial streamers were watching recently is called The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin. And this one is a 2021 docu-series on Max, which is formerly HBO. And all I can say is wow. And it just, the hair. Like we're gonna get into the hair of this cult leader. We're gonna get into the hair because it just, there's a lot there, literally. Uh, but there's a lot there to talk about. All right, so this docu-series is, this story is set in Brentwood, Tennessee. It is the wealthiest county in the state, and um, it's referred to as the Brentwood bubble. Uh, everyone kind of knows everyone in this town, and weekends are spent typically at the local football game on Friday nights, and then on Sundays, everybody in town is at church. There is virtually no diversity in Brentwood, Tennessee. It is largely populated by white people. I think that just, or they said in the docuseries, just under 90% of the residents are white. So there you go. And Gwen Shamblin was one of those residents and she ended up putting Brentwood on the map, not for good reasons. And if it is in fact true that the higher the hair, the closer you are to God, Gwen Shamblin would have been besties with the big guy up in the sky because this lady's hair reached heights that are unfathomable. And I just am so fascinated by how she got her damn hair that tall, but we'll get into that. Gwen Shamblin was born in Memphis, Tennessee on February 18th, 1955, and she was raised in the Church of Christ, one of the most orthodox and intense churches in the area. When Gwen became a leader of her own church, which would eventually become a mega church, which would eventually become, in my opinion, a cult, uh, her hair reached heights that defied gravity. With her distinctive hairdo, but I'd like to refer to it as more of a hair don't, um, it was platinum blonde, uh, her hair was parted on the side, and it went through what must have been an extremely intense backcombing session that must have lasted like 60 minutes at least. I mean, she wanted her hair as high as heavenly possible. I imagine her arms felt like spaghetti noodles at the end of this arduous and highly unnecessary process of backcombing. According to the Way Down website, uh, which is weighdown.com, Gwen struggled with her weight in high school and she decided to study dietetics in college. Now in college, Gwen gained what a lot of people refer to as the freshman 15, but she reports that she gained 20 pounds and she struggled to lose the weight. And Gwen would come to believe that metabolism and familial genetics, as well as behavior changes, did not have any bearing on weight fluctuation. And that's when she had a light bulb moment. Gwen had the not so genius idea to combine her two biggest passions, dietetics and God. And she combined those two things to create a weight loss program, which was referred to as the Way Down Workshop. And Gwen Shamblin became very well known for the Way Down Workshop. And she made a ton of money on it. In 1997, Gwen told the Washington Post, if you focus your attention on God and prayer instead of the magnetic pull of the refrigerator, it's amazing how free you'll be. Really, bitch. In 1999, Gwen founded the Remnant Fellowship Church in Franklin, Tennessee. She made a ton of money on this church, which is 
controversial, obviously. Part of the way that she made all this money was the Way Down Workshop. In fact, that's how she made most of her money. She was this church leader who would go on to tell people that she was a prophet and that she was sent by God. But she also would like fat shame and wanted everybody to be skinny and would teach really problematic diet culture tactics to all these members of this church. And she made money on it. She sold books and they had to pay to go to these stupid workshops and it was just crazy. So after she founded her church in the Remnant Fellowship Church in Franklin, Tennessee and made a ton of money, she went and moved to a gigantic 40 acre property which she bought from money she made from her church and she built or erected a mega church on that property and that's when the church moved to Brentwood Tennessee the Brentwood bubble what began as a health journey really morphed into a religious cult that controlled its members uh, sometimes with deadly consequences which we will get into that a little bit later and what was Gwen Shamblin's big weight loss idea, you might ask? To pray the weight away. Yeah, no. Okay, so if you're not uh, already seeing this woman is batshit crazy. Listen, I know we don't like to use the word crazy when describing women because it is so overused, but she was at least a lot off. I'll just say that. Gwen preached that if your stomach is rumbling, go ahead and eat. But if it's not actually rumbling, like as in making noise and making you feel really uncomfortable and famished, well, then you just need to pray. You got to pray the weight away. You got to pray that hunger away. And there was no separation of church and weight loss in Gwen's cult. There was also no separation between the truth and complete bullshit, as evidenced by Gwen's methods of rejecting all things bad. Like, you know, bad things like eating when your stomach isn't actually making noise or other bad things like drug abuse, which, okay, I'll agree that's bad, homosexuality or wives being equal to their husbands. Gwen didn't believe in that. She didn't believe in homosexuality and she also didn't believe in wives having equal footing uh, as their husbands. Like we could not be more different in that area. You just got to pray these things away and you're good, according to Gwen. And Gwen's followers were extremely loyal. They would follow her toxic dieting advice as well as her very questionable parenting tactics to a T. She would use people's biggest insecurities to lure them into her church, aka cult, uh, and profit off of them. That was her entire goal, in my opinion. Her sermons included fat shaming, as well as a lot of problematic diet advice with a religious spin in order to get people to lose weight. Gwen really became a diet guru and she would preach to people all over the world to transfer their love of food to a love of God. And look, I don't know if this bitch ever had a Del Taco chili cheese fries at 2 a.m. after a hot night out, or even one of those bacon-wrapped dirty dogs outside a Staples Center after a Clippers game. Um, but baby Jesus himself could never stop me from indulging in these delicacies. So pray as much as you want. I'm still going to get my chili cheese fries and my dirty dog. And Gwen would shame church members into weight loss by insinuating it was a moral failure to be fat. And this made Gwen a millionaire, a multimillionaire. Gwen loyalists followed her every word and ponied up their hard-earned money on her bullshit diet books 
and her culty church, her way down workshops so they could get skinny. I mean, I, I get apparently according to Gwen, everybody had to be skinny. Her mega church was less to do with God and a hell of a lot more to do with just getting rich. So prior to becoming a weight loss obsessed cult leader, Gwen Shamblin was your average church going wife who was married to an average guy, David Shamblin. They were married for almost four decades from 1978 to 2018. And let me tell you, David knows where the bodies are buried, but he's been very quiet since they got a divorce. But we do know that David was heavily involved in Gwen's way down workshops, but he eventually faded out of the spotlight once Gwen established the Remnant Fellowship Church. And this may have been by design because David has a master's degree in divinity. So the fact that his wife was mixing religion and weight loss at church probably gave him major side eye. In the Max docuseries, they alluded to David's discomfort with feelings of guilt over his wife capitalizing on their religion. And people believe that David was purposefully hidden away because first off, he didn't believe in what his wife was doing. But second of all, he also didn't exactly look the part of a husband who's married to a dieting cult leading guru because you know he wasn't exactly skinny and essentially the way that she wanted people to look in 2018 Gwen and David Shamblin get a divorce and Gwen meets a man named Joe Lara and she marries him that same year and the church members were livid about this because it was a complete hypocrisy because Gwen this prophet uh this woman who was supposedly sent by God, it went against everything that she preached. I mean, she wouldn't even allow women who were in um, relationships with men who had multiple affairs and infidelity, you know, indiscretions in their marriage. She would not allow them to have a divorce. She would tell them like, absolutely not. Um, she was totally against it. Oh, but Gwen, when she wants to get a divorce, I guess that's okay. And marry another dude that same year, all of that is fine. They just need to ignore that and really sort of like do as I say, not as I do type deal. And Gwen and Joe Laura's marriage was cringeworthy times a billion. When they met, Joe was an out of work actor working as a handyman. And that's how he met Gwen at the Remnant Fellowship Church. I think he was working on some handyman projects at the church. And a lot of former church members really saw Joe Lara as an opportunist. He used his acting skills, and I use skills, uh, the term very loosely. He used his acting skills to play a devout husband to Gwen uh, when in reality, he was really after Gwen's fame, power, and money. And Gwen spoiled this guy. I mean, she even built him a recording studio at the church so he could live out his dream of being a country music star. And again, I use the word star very loosely. Check out this video. Gwen and Joe started a YouTube series called Life with Gwen and Joe, as if anybody gives a fuck. And it's even enough to make someone with an iron stomach projectile vomit for an hour straight. It, it is so hard to watch, but don't take my word for it. Check this out. Life with God is so good. 
So come join us on this fun life where we put God in the center of everything. These days, I'm about being the best man I can be. He doesn't stop. He just, he, he does, and if he stumbles, he gets back up and he just keeps going after it. If that clip of their shitty YouTube series wasn't enough to prove to you that Joe Laura would have loved to be anywhere else but in front of the woman he married, I don't know what would. Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with estro control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. Luckily, I found Estro Control. The formula is designed to make that time of the month a breeze so you can finally feel like yourself again. And for those battling through menopause or perimenopause, Hormone Harmony is here to help. With their science-backed adaptogenic blend, you can conquer hot flashes, low moods, poor sleep, and more. Happy Mammoth, the company behind Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Join the thousands of women who swear by Happy Mammoth's products. It says something that a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Plus, the adaptogenic blend helps your body adapt to hormonal changes naturally. Whether you're dealing with PMS woes or menopause struggles, Happy Mammoth has you covered. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code MURDERISH at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code MURDERISH for 15% off today. It seems so obvious watching these videos. The dude was like staring past Gwen Shamblin. He didn't, he didn't love Gwen Shamblin. I think he was unfortunately like repulsed by her, to be honest with you. But he saw in her an opportunity and she saw in him a good looking, you know, piece of arm candy who would go along and play the role of a devout husband to this church cult leader, guru, whatever she was. It's obvious to me that the dude was in love with sun visors, not Gwen Shamblin. Okay, so let's rewind to when Joe Lara was just 21 years old. At that time, he met 16-year-old Natasha Pavlovich, or Pavlovich, in acting classes in California. Now, Natasha says in the docuseries that Joe was about having fun. He liked to live extravagantly without paying for it. That's what partners were for. So Natasha is saying this is who Joe was. He he liked to bum off of other people for his own gain. He liked to live extravagantly and have fun, but on somebody else's dime. And it seems like that's exactly what he was doing with Gwen High Hair Shamblin. She said, she being Natasha, said that although Joe Lara was surrounded by money and a life of luxury growing up, at 21 years old, Joe lived in a mobile home and he struggled with drug addiction. After a breakup and a makeup, Natasha had Joe's baby in 2010, a baby girl. While Natasha took care of the baby, Joe tried to get discovered as the next big country star. And there's an emphasis on tried. And judging by that shitty music video that we saw, I'm pretty sure 
he and his sun visor collection would just collect dust waiting for that record deal to come. By 2015, Joe and Natasha were in a very bad place. In fact, Joe falsely accused Natasha of sexual abuse against their young daughter as a means to stop her from moving with the daughter to where she had family in Chicago. And Natasha was devastated when law enforcement separated her from her young daughter while they investigated these claims. But by the end of it all, authorities concluded that Joe had just made everything up and the case against Natasha was dismissed. Joe was a fucking asshole. That's been established by what he put Natasha through. But old high hair cult leader Gwen Shamlin thought she'd won the Fabio wannabe lottery when she met Joe Lara. Joe crazy eyes Laura. And although Gwen wouldn't allow members to divorce their cheating husbands, God apparently supported her second marriage to Handy Travis. See what I did there? Get it? Handy Travis? Because he was a handyman when he met Gwen and he also was a wannabe Randy Travis country star. Okay. We'll move on. Gwen had many loyalists who she controlled their every move. And there was one person though that Gwen could not control and that's Natasha Pavlovich. Joe had not only made false sexual abuse allegations against Natasha, but he also used the power of Gwen's megachurch to fight her in an expensive custody battle in court. And Natasha spent over $200,000 in legal fees to try and win custody of her daughter, knowing that she would be much better off with her than Joe Lara, who really seemed like he only wanted to fight Natasha in court, maybe because he got off on it, but really I think he only wanted to do it and have custody of their daughter so that he didn't have to pay her any money in child support. He was just completely self-serving. I don't think he had any interest in being a father or a present father to their young daughter. And then Natasha decided at some point to represent herself in court and she absolutely killed it. She was up against Joe's attorneys who also represented the Remnant Fellowship Church. So these were no rookie league attorneys. In December of 2020, a judge ruled that she and Joe would share 50-50 custody of their daughter. Then in 2021, a judge ruled that Natasha would be the primary parent, which awarded her sole decision-making regarding their daughter's religion, her education, and a lot more. In fear of remnant fellowship church members following her, Natasha moved with her daughter to a different area. She was extremely fearful of the members of this church and what they were capable of. Fortunately, Natasha and her daughter escaped the really scary experience with the remnant fellowship cult relatively unharmed. However, that wouldn't be the case for young Joseph Smith. Joseph and Sonia Smith, who were members of Gwen Shamblin's megachurch, were sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years after the death of their eight-year-old son, Joseph Smith. Medical examiners concluded that Joseph died as a result of blows to the head. Responding firefighters said his body was absolutely covered in bruises. According to reporting by NBC, Joseph's father admitted to striking his son, four or five times, saying that Joseph needed constant discipline because he claimed to be a soldier of the devil, 
a term he learned from the Remnant Fellowship Church. Prosecutors said that Joseph and Sonia beat their son, locked him in a wooden box, and confined him to a closet for hours at a time before he died in October of 2003. Joseph's parents ended up telling authorities that Joseph passed out and never regained consciousness after the family gathered to participate in an online prayer session with Remnant Fellowship Church. Although Gwen denied it, a recorded phone call revealed that Gwen had instructed the Smiths to spank young Joseph and remove everything from his bedroom except for his Bible. Gwen Shamblin and the Remnant Fellowship Church leadership team preached obedience and control. And the Smiths took that advice and applied it to their eight-year-old son, Joseph, who died as a result of their abuse. And of course, Gwen and the church are going to try to minimize their role in all of this and claim that they were just simply trying to help the Smiths with their unruly son. But they were playing with fire and entering a space they had absolutely no business entering. What qualifications did Gwen Shamblin or anybody at that church have to give parenting advice and discipline advice for your children? Absolutely none. They should have stayed their asses out of this, but they played with fire and the Smiths took everything they said and amplified it and their son ended up dead. As Gwen and her seemingly bought and paid for husband, old Handy Travis, settled into married life and leaders of a cult, they had a lot of money to burn. Life was good until they made the fateful decision to attend a We The People Patriots Day MAGA rally in Florida because they'd never make it there alive. May 29th of 2021 began like any other day and the couple planned to take a private plane to the political rally in Florida with a few others in their inner circle. On the private plane that fateful day were Gwen and Joe, their son-in-law, Brandon Hanna, Jennifer and David Martin, as well as Jonathan and Jessica Walters. Joe Lara had his pilot's license and he was flying the plane that day. Everything seemed fine shortly after takeoff. Joe Lara was in contact with air traffic control, but less than two minutes into the flight, air traffic control lost contact with Joe. He wasn't responding to any of their instructions after that point, about 90 seconds after the plane took off. Shortly after that, someone reported seeing a plane nosedive into Percy Priest Lake near Nashville, Tennessee, into just a few feet of water. The story then hit the media and everyone on board the plane was presumed dead. And in fact, none of the seven passengers would survive. Jennifer and David Martin, they were members of, of Gwen's church. They left behind five children. Jessica and Jonathan Walters, who were married in the church, left behind three children. And Brandon Hanna's death made Gwen's daughter, Elizabeth, a widow. Sadly, Elizabeth had also recently suffered the loss of a child. Now her husband and her mother were gone. And although Joe Laura had his pilot's license, it was reported that he was new to flying that type of plane. And from what I read, it was a very old plane. I want to say it was like 39 years old. And he just wasn't equipped to fly that type of plane. And he'd lost his medical certification 17 months prior to the crash. Now, I guess it's required of anyone who gets their pilot's license that they have a an active medical certification. And this is to ensure that pilots are healthy enough to fly a plane. And it has to get renewed every two years. Now, Remnant Fellowship Church denies that Joe Lara didn't have an active medical certification. Now, this is really eerie. In the uh, audio where you hear Joe Lara 
Aurora in contact with air traffic control, you know, just shortly after they took off when he was talking to them, you can hear an alarm going off in the background. It's just like constantly going off. It sounds like any alarm that you would hear where it's like, okay, alert, alert. But to this day, they don't know what that alarm was for, but something was clearly wrong because that alarm should not have been going off during their flight if something wasn't wrong. Air traffic control data showed that after 90 seconds in the air, the plane that they were in began to drop at a much higher rate than is considered normal. After the plane crash and the seven people died, an issue arose within Gwen's church um, because members were indoctrinated to believe that Gwen was sent by God. So they believed that nothing bad was ever going to happen to Gwen, their leader. Well, now they have to grapple with the fact that nothing bad was ever supposed to happen, but now she's died in a plane crash. And how do they reconcile that? And the church always did a great job of really sweeping tragedies under the rug, such as the very clear distress that Gwen's daughter Elizabeth was under after losing her child. Her appearance showed it. If you, you know, we'll show a picture on screen here, you can just see that the woman looks malnourished, tired, pale, uh, extremely thin. And there was clearly something going on, as is to be expected. She lost a young child. And that is obviously anyone's worst tragedy uh, and nightmare. So, um, but they, the, the church was really good and Gwen included, of course. They were very good at just sweeping this under the rug. You would see Elizabeth appear on stage and really excited and, and motivated to, you know, spread the word of God within the church and come to all the events. She just really kept it moving. And that was really under the direction of her mother, Gwen. Gwen did not allow tragedies to be highlighted. Everything just had to be peachy keen, look away, brush it under the rug. Everything's fine here. Nothing to see here. So when Gwen died in the plane crash, members were confused as to how somebody sent by God could be taken away. And her death really exposed the reality to some members that Gwen was just human like them. Crews were able to recover the plane's engine and other debris, as well as some human remains. And the medical examiner's office confirmed that four men and three women were on board the ill-fated flight. The question was who would take over the Remnant Fellowship Church? Her daughter Elizabeth initially stepped forward, but she was in no condition to lead a mega church. It looks like she had was going through some health issues, maybe some mental health issues, um, just really in no condition to step up as a leader. And Elizabeth had been taught well from her mother how to basically not be human, not to show emotion, not to show any pain and suffering, to just show up, do the damn thing with the church, smile and act like everything is fine. Another big question arose after Gwen Shamblin's death, and that was, who was going to get all of her money? Gwen was estimated to be worth $100 million when she died. So tell me again how you're not profiting from your culty church. And shockingly, Gwen left no money to the church. All of her money, 
per her will, would go to her daughter, Elizabeth. Now, Gwen's son, Michael, uh, had taken a leadership role after his mother's death, but he separated from the church in 2022, the, the year following her death. And Michael Shamblin reportedly suffered from mental health uh, issues as well, as well as body image issues. He also had infidelity in his marriage. He was unfaithful to his wife, allegedly. You could tell that he was a bit of a tortured soul. When they feature him in the docuseries, you could just see that he had gone through a lot in childhood and was still going through a lot in adulthood. But of course, all of this was, you know, quickly swept under the rug and not dealt with um, by the church and Gwen Shamblin. And like I said earlier, you know, Gwen told people that she was a prophet, but by the looks of it, she was a very profitable prophet, which is a contradiction in itself. And though she denounced people using religion to line their pockets, it seems like she was doing exactly that. Former church members have come forward to tell their stories about being led to believe that being thin brings you closer to God and obedience will lead you to heaven. Gwen's toxic teachings inflicted a lot of pain and suffering on a lot of people who followed her loyally and some of whom contemplated suicide. Even after death, Gwen Shamblin has loyalists who still attend the Remnant Fellowship Church. However, there are others who are saddened by her death, but they also feel a sense of relief that she is no longer with us because that means she can no longer inflict any pain and suffering on anybody anymore. And though Gwen's daughter Elizabeth is currently listed as leader on the church's website, she became very reclusive after the plane crash, leaving others to run the church. My final thoughts on this docuseries are that Gwen Shamblin was a bullshit fraudster and she had no business leading anybody for any reason, but she did it anyway and she was messing with fire and she was teaching just disgusting parenting and discipline tactics and awful, awful, dangerous, toxic diet culture that everybody needs to be thin to be closer to God. How the fuck does that make any sense at all? But she did all of it just to maintain power and to get rich. And she did. And Gwen's marriage to Joe Laura, old Handy Travis was a complete sham. Okay. They both were using each other. Joe was a piece of shit as evidenced by what he put Natasha through. He made absolutely disgusting claims against her that could have left her not having any custody of her daughter ever again. Thankfully, she won in court. But yeah, Joe and, Joe and Gwen were using each other. I think that Gwen saw in Joe a handsome man, and anyway, everybody's got their own taste, but she saw in him a handsome man, arm candy, uh, somebody who would play the role of a devout husband and uh, make them appear perfect, which was what she always aimed to do. And of course he saw in her somebody who would share her wealth and her, her power and her fame with him, which is what he had always been after. And he could go and strum his stupid fucking guitar and make shitty country music, if you even call it music, in the freaking recording studio that she built for him at this culty church. Okay, so I wanna know, of course, what all of you think. I'm sure you're all going to have a lot to say about this one. Tell me, have you ever backcombed your hair? I'm sure you didn't get it as high as Gwen Shamblin's. But tell me if you think the Remnant Fellowship Church is a cult, or at least cult adjacent or cultish. 
Uh, let me know what you think of old Handy Travis. Did you like his music? I mean, listen, I thought it was pure trash, but there could be some people out there who like, I, I don't know. Tell me what you think. Tell me if you think that, you know, they actually loved each other. I just I, spill it all. Tell me what you think about this story. Um, do you think that people are better off now that, you know, Gwen Shamblin and Joe Lara are no longer here? Thanks so much for watching and listening. I appreciate you guys so much. And I have to tell you, it has been so much fun doing this Serial Streamers Club with you guys. You guys are coming up with the best comments and questions and thoughts and theories on Instagram when we talk about these docuseries and you really make my wheels spin. And so I want to keep doing this. I hope you guys continue to enjoy it. Continue to engage uh, on social media with me. I absolutely enjoy it so much. So make sure you're following me on Instagram at Jamie on air. If you're listening to this on murderish podcast, uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. And if you want a video version, hop on over to my YouTube channel at Jamie on air. Thanks again, you guys. I can't wait to see you soon. Make sure you go over to Instagram after you listen to this or watch this and I want you to share everything you have to say about this wild story with me in the comments. I look forward to seeing you all again really soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.